going to go out on a limb here and say that season two is going to be absolutely incredible because in season two, I have a co-host. Co-host, say hello. Hello. That's Caroline. She's now my co-host. So season two of Shareable is going to be a little bit different. We're still talking about people and technology, but we're going to go a little bit deeper, a master class. So grab your favorite pen. And your favorite piece of paper. And get ready to take some notes because this is Shareable. everyone it's so great to be back um this is actually the last of the bonus episodes uh that we recorded at the end of season two and that we were going to be going into uh our season three or now our, our final season our final form uh that we've kind of landed on um and this episode you'll notice at the beginning we talk a lot about season three and season three and season three and it was partly because we had this idea for what season three, what the format was going to be. And we were going to do this thing where we had people come on and tell us stories about people and technology. But we found that in talking to different uh, potential guests and, and just, you know, our normal process of trying to get people on the show, that it was a very tall order to get people to come on and tell stories. Not everybody has the ability to tell uh, a coherent narrative from start to finish and really, you know, get their message across. So we found that that format wasn't exactly right for everyone, but thankfully in this episode that you're about to listen to, Christina Harbridge from Allegory Inc., she's a phenomenal storyteller, and I found that this episode, if we were able to do something like this for all of our uh, uh, episodes moving forward, you know, I think it would be great. Uh, It's just very difficult to do, but um, Christina was a a joy to have on the show, so we hope you like this show. After this episode uh, airs, uh, we're going to be moving into um, the new episodes that we have recorded, we've got a bunch already, uh, just waiting to come out. And then, uh, we've got a bunch of guests lined up that we're going to start talking to. Remember, if you, uh, want to pitch us a guest, you want to tell us someone you think should be on, you can, uh, tweet us, you can email us. All the info is in the show notes, uh, of how to get in touch with us. And, uh, you can always call us and tell us your experiences, uh, kind of participate. Um, we'd love to do an episode where we feature, our uh, our listeners and talk a little bit about how people and technology have influenced your life and what you want to share. So uh, definitely don't hesitate to get involved. We appreciate all of you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Christina Harbridge of Allegory Inc. Season three. Is that how we should start it? I don't think it's how we should <laughs> no. start. Let's start, let's start it differently. Let's start it differently. Let's start. <laughs> You can start that with in. the story. Yeah, I'm, this is everything is making the cut. That's the new season three guidelines. No editing. Raw. No editing. It's just completely raw season yeah. three. Okay, so it's like it's like hanging. It's like one of those shows where you hang out with your friends. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, shareable listeners, welcome back. This is season three of Shareable, and I'm Jeff. Now I'm Caroline. We're still the same people. We are the same people. I don't know about that. I think we've grown. We've really changed since season two. We have. I think we've become better people, smarter people, wiser people. Yeah. I would say we've learned a lot from th- all of our wonderful guests. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And our life experiences. That's true also. Those happened in between the time from yeah. season two. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Sometimes we go and we eat too many tacos at lunchtime and then we feel ill. That may have happened today, right before this episode. It's very possible. <laughs> Season three is going to be a little bit different, as we have alluded to in between season two and season three. And today we have a wonderful guest who is going to is is literally the most perfect person that we could possibly have found in the entire universe, potentially in the galaxy, to open up season three because season three is different from season two. In that season two, we did deep dives, we went step by step on how to do things, and in season three, we're going to be talking about stories, stories that people tell about people and about their lives, and about where uh, things have taken them. It's really interesting stories by interesting people, and 
uh, for to, to kick it all off, uh, we have a guest on the line, guest on the line uh, with a company called Allegory, which means we have found the perfect guest for this. Introduce yourself, please. Hi, I love listening to the two of you and your banter. I could listen to that all day. God, we it's hope incredible. our audience feels the same. Yeah, honestly, otherwise. Yeah, and since this is audio, you know, my name is Christina Harbridge and I am six foot four. Um, no, I'm five foot two, but I like to say that. I just wanted to base our entire relationship on a lie. It would have changed everything about our entire conversation. I would have been like, on the other end is a giant. She's a giant she's, woman. She's very tall. She's huge. Although I will send you a photo of a pair of shoes that are platforms with a metal pipe that are about 10 inches tall. That's wild. So I can pull that off um, in my Good for platform. You. God bless. Like, yeah, girl. Every time I wear heels, my back hurts. Right. Me too. Yeah. I'm <laughs> feeling that. P.S. I love the fact that you started off with a, a non-truth. Uh, I often advise that when I advise people on the online dating. I say, really? When, yeah, I really do. When they say, like, what do you do for a living? I tell them to make up something. I've because... been getting that advice lately as it's, someone who's, like, entering it's great advice. online dating. It's great and advice. It's, I don't feel like it's awful advice. No, it's great advice. Here's why. Because once you get into that, it's like an interview. I like, feel like it's you just like sardonically messing with people. No. no I think, yeah. Right? No, no. Like you're just, it's all for your ha-has. Uh, I know. Christina, weigh in. You know, I think anything that you can do to create comfort at the beginning of a date is a good thing. Because the more comfortable the person is, the first five minutes, the more you'll know if you want to order a meal. Yes, and get them How laughing. No, no, because you get them laughing. You make up something ridiculous that's obviously so not true. Obviously you don't say, like, I'm a banker. Like, there's no point in that. So you're not, like, trying to sell the lie. No, you're not trying to sell the lie. You can say, like, I make tiny die-cast figurines of Mario Kart characters. And I sell them I on Etsy. I would believe somebody who they I would believe that. <laughs> that would make me want to marry them. And then I'd be totally let down. That's kind of amazing, right? So, But then I would immediately say, no, that's not true at all. I am actually a dinosaur hunter. So I would make up something ridiculous because I don't want to talk about what I do for a living on a first date. Now, I'm not going on any more first dates, so I have to pass this advice along to others so that they now have it. Got it. Thank you. Makes sense? <laughs> Christina, weigh in. <laughs> Well, I do think a lot of us don't really like talking about what we do for a living because we're tired of talking about it. So I think starting a date, talking about anything else, I think will just increase the level of interest. So I think Mario characters, totally all in on yeah. that. I think that'd be really cool. I mean, that's cool. You can bring that up later. I'm just saying, like, it, I feel like it turns immediately into, um, you know, one of those things where you're, you're just kind of like interviewing them. Okay. And what was the most painful moment of your childhood? Like, it just becomes, you know what I mean? That's standard it's, first date fair for you. It, I well, took, it's so it true, but it's so true because then you have to bring up the whole how you got into dinosaur hunting, that it happened when you were a kid, <laughs> and how Tyrannosaurus rexes have really short arms and how uncomfortable it is for them. So, I mean, if you think about it, you guys asked me what I do, and I've avoided it for five minutes. This is true. It's really good. This it's is really true. Good. I think that means that you're the best at it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I will. I know we're, we've literally started our show on a tangent, but I'm going to take us down one more. But my, my second date with my fiance, she wasn't my fiance at the time, but, um, the, the second date we ever had is one of those, like H what are those reality shows where you mean, yeah. getting you meet them and you're 90 days fiance, whatever anyway, point being stop throwing me off. Anyway, point being is that the, <clears throat> on our second date, I played a game with her that I really like playing, which is make up a story about strangers. And it was when she realized that I was really weird. Um, but I like to see passerbys and make up stories about who they are and what they are. And the more ridiculous it is, the better. And the fact that she played along with me was like a major key for me. I was like, okay, this is, this is a cool trick. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think y'all should do a podcast on how to make a first date more interesting. I think that is pretty powerful. The person that that I'm currently with, our first date, we each brought five songs with us, favorite songs, songs that we loved. And we just walked around the city listening to each other's songs. Oh my gosh. That's so cute. I'm dying. I know, right? (laughs) And not not talking. You didn't Isn't talk at all? No, we didn't talk. We just walked around the city to the tune of um, someone's song, and it was hilarious. What we, every, The world seemed to go – was a musical to the music we had picked. Like we laughed. I think I peed a little. <laughs> that's how you know. Because, it's you know, a real walk, laugh. That's how you know. That's We're walking you know. <laughs> down the Barcadero, you know, to – I'm trying to think of what one of the songs was um, – Oh, what was one of the songs? It was John Bon Jovi. Oh. And I swear it was all to the tune of that. So like to even the hand gestures, like it was hilarious. And we just laughed the whole time. And you didn't say a word. That's what's crazy nope. to me. You like walked up, acknowledged that you were the person you were each other were looking mm-hmm. for, and then put on headphones and didn't say anything. It was hilarious. This was very good. The first date, was it? Yep. First time Stop we ever met. Stop it. That is because so romantic. I hate- I am just not into the, how are you? Fine. How's the weather? Like, I just, I don't know. I just feel like that kind of dialogue creates awkward discomfort professionalism. I would just rather experience something and then talk about it. Yeah. Who, whose idea was that? Mine. Oh. God, you're good. You're good. We're going to have to know more about you. So, okay. <laughs> so now, now that we know that you're a six foot four person that um, does not make die cast uh, Mario Kart figurines like I do, uh, who are you and what do you do? Huh. Let's see. That is, here's why I exist. Um, That's a better question. I, why do you exist? Yeah, I exist, <laughs> I exist because I really believe that how people feel about themselves around another human being dictates everything. Uh, commitment, compliance, you know, commitment or compliance or I just think that our, um, as human beings, as warm-blooded tribal animals, how we feel about ourselves around people just really matters. And I love um, reducing anonymity and helping humans, including myself, just experience the world in a real authentic way. And that doesn't mean happy. Um, That means the snot bubble moments when someone's angry uh, all the feels I think are really powerful and what creates really great stuff. So I have a business that does that. I'm a welder and a fabricator. So my art does that. I'm a NASA sub test test subject. I do that there. So everywhere I do, whatever I do is just around just real feelings. And that's just not the positive ones, like the real feeling. Was that two truths and a lie or are all of those things real? All true. So you're a welder and a fabricator. Well, and she's really did you say a NASA test subject? Yes, I am a NASA test subject. And I just want to let you know, I, this is usually the next question, so I'll <laughs> just fill in the blank, that all astronauts are hot. All of them. Wow. Everyone. I mean, that makes just, perfect sense. I am a part-time astronaut. What are they doing up in space? Someone bring them down. Yeah. <laughs> what's the trip to space like? <laughs> Well, I, um, as a NASA test subject, um, astronauts don't like having their physiology tested. So they do not allow NASA to test equipment on them because if you have some little hiccup going on in your body that's temporary, you'll get grounded. So people like me donate our time to kind of 
let people use our body, let NASA use our body to test equipment. So you've donated um, your body to science mm-hmm. while living. Already, while living. <laughs> yeah, I've done zero gravity 42 times. It's what? Amazing. 42 is an insane yeah. is, number. Is that the plane that goes in like the, the wave thing? What they do is you do um, straight up um, and then you do a nosedive. And in the nosedive, you're weightless. Do you that's just have so the crazy. most fun? I feel like that's that's what you do. You that's have the, the most, most fun, fun everywhere. <laughs> I do. You know, I have to say I'm super lucky. Um, you know, I, I started geeking out on physiology in my business. Um, I, you know, hooked my call center folk up, folks up to these heart math things that registered physiology because I found that communication and conflict has to do with physiology. And then I, lucky me, one of the clients we helped um, do a TED Talk asked me if he said, "What do you, I want to give you your dream. You helped me so much. What do you dream of? And I want to help you get that dream. And I kind of made a joke. I want to go to space. And dude picked up his phone <laughs> and called this physician at NASA and said, do you need any test subjects? You are so freaking cool. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That and is so, he, so freaking cool. I know. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I got on a list. I think there was a thousand people in front of me. So he said, I can't get you in, but I can get you on the list. Do you want to hear the story? Am I totally boring? Okay. So more than anything, (laughs) I feel like tearing up. I'm going to tear up when I tell it. So one of the things that I really believe as humans is reducing anonymity. No one is invisible to me. And I, I just live this as a human that we are one story away from our closest friend. And if we can just walk through the world, getting people to talk to us and tell us their story, that our lives are profoundly changed. And it's not giving as much as it is just receiving um, the beauty of humanity. And so the woman who was doing the intake um, was an intern. And I just asked her a lot of questions about herself because I'm infinitely curious. I can be kind of annoying, but... And she was doing a study on epilepsy. She was in college and um, my grandmother had epilepsy and died from a seizure. So she, I gave her a bunch of stuff that we had done in our family and we really connected. And it was just a transaction. I was just supposed to give her my information. And then a week later, um, she called me and she said, can you be in Texas next week? And I'm like, wait, what, wait, what, what, what? And she said, you are the only person who treated me like a human being, I bumped everybody else. You're flying. Oh, my God. (sighs) And my purpose on this planet is I really, I want that experience of me treating her well, not to be so profound to her that she feels like she has to give me something for it. I want to make that so normal that it doesn't feel unusual to be treated well by other people. That is like my mission as a human. How do you think you're going to be able to do that? You know, I with the the focuses, I'm trying to, to – I kind of plant it in what I'm doing in my business. We have a behavioral change company, and so we do um, group and one-on-one and system change. So it's in a lot of the learning that I give folks. And it's not just to be a nice person. It's a more rational way of being. You know, people, if you treat people well, um, the whole experience is better. Um, And then in anything I do with the art that I'm doing, I believe that public art that's free um, reduces crime. We've been able to prove that it does. It just makes things better. Um, So anything I'm doing, I'm kind of inserting that mission into 
all of the parts of my life that I'm doing. I think that's really great. And, and I, my, how do you feel about it? Like, do you feel like you've made an impact and being, been able to look back on the work you've done so far and be really proud of the impact you've made on the world so far? We have a um, phone number that we ask people to leave their stories uh, when they go out and practice some of the deliberate practices we give leaders. And man, you need some freaking Kleenex for these stories. Oh. Just, just, I mean, a dad, oh, I can't even, I'm just a big, I'm just glad this is not video because I'm just a big snot bubble. You know, a dad, a CEO that went through one of our group events and he was sort of um, negative, you know, he's teasing me about touchy feely crap and, you know, he's pretty hard in the room. And I kind of gave him this thought that, um, you know, here's one way, you know, watch for what you like with your kids, give them one sentence of something that you like that they did, be very specific and walk away and see what happens. Do that homework and tell me what happens. Guy leaves this like blubbering <laughs> email, uh, voicemail, and he lets me tell this story where his, he watched his son play football and he wrote down like three things that his kid did that was completely amazing. And he said, and I bawled my eyes out telling my son specifically what I saw that my kid did. And my son looked at me and said, but, and the guy said, I have taught my son that my positives come with a tax and a price because every time I give him a positive, I tell him what's wrong with him. He doesn't even hear them anymore. And he was crying. He's like, I'm on a, I will never, I am forever going to be verbal about what is working and stop putting those two things together. My son has not been hearing me all these years. He's just hearing my correction. Have you ever dealt with someone that you couldn't help? Like meaning that, so you have this guy, he's teasing you about the touchy feelies and you give him this homework assignment. Is it? Have you found that there are just people who are resistant to this idea that people's stories matter and not being invisible matters and acknowledging people matters? I think, yeah. I mean, I, I believe that, you know, some of us are highly introverted and other people are draining for us. So for a super, you know, introverts get energy from inside and the external world can be draining. I'm an introvert. And so it, it is... It, for some people, getting people's stories when you don't know where they're going to go can be exhausting, it can be super exhausting. And so it doesn't land with people when I haven't done a good job describing that it's a rational strategy for influence. This is, we are irrational and emotional as humans. And if I'm a CEO and I tell people what to do all the time, command and control and make them feel small and make them feel like crap, they're going to work less. It's not rational for me to be that way. So if that CEO doesn't get from me that this habit of reducing anonymity would help her business, um, then I haven't done a good job explaining why it matters to what they're trying to do. So even in doing that, though, have you ever encountered a situation where, like, how do you come, how do you deal with it when you, let me see how to say this. We've dealt with clients where we know that a happier company culture, a company culture where people believe in the mission and the purpose, where they feel bound together in a common goal is going to be a more productive company. And that where people like coming to work is obviously going to be a better place than if they dread the next time that the boss comes walking in because they feel like they're going to be in trouble. We know that. 
But even knowing that, even being able to show that with data and even being able to make the case of how that impacts the ability to either generate additional revenue or save, uh, save on expenses, even with all of the rational and the emotional, we've sometimes struggled with people where it just feels like this just isn't worth our time to fight this battle. Have you encountered any of those sort of situations? And, and if not, if you haven't, then, then what are you doing that's allowing you to actually get to people to get through that barrier that they have up or even that just inability to understand it? Yeah, what I my strategy is always to give people a feeling they're not getting anywhere else. Um, and that is this idea. All of us have a basic need to feel understood. And a CEO who is resisting this idea that command and control, for example, might not be the way to run their business. I really try to understand the underlying competing value that's driving that belief. There are businesses that their entire construct is based on intimidation. That's how that leader has always run the business. And, and maybe he or she has hired people that perform under that structure. So I'm always super mindful that I'm not pushing an ideology onto a system that doesn't need my belief. And so I will walk on, usually we don't get hired for those because we have a whole process by which, you know, we don't take every deal that comes our way. I have a process by which I figure that out. I do something called somatic linguistics. So I map people's linguistics and how they answer questions that I'm asking. And I can usually know up front that it's not the right fit, that we're going to ask the CEO to do something that's just way too disruptive. Okay, we're going to now talk about that. <laughs> He's sitting here jotting notes down. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Somatic linguistics? Yeah, it's something there I have no comma after my name, so you know, this is not science. It sounds sciency, but it's not. It does I sound sciency. It does, but I what mean, I you did, are an astronaut. <laughs> well, I'm not an astronaut. I wish I could be, but I, I did I, air quotes. You just couldn't see it. Yeah, I I sit next to astronauts in hypoxia chambers and Love them. That sentence was enough. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. enough for me. Hypoxia. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> me too. Okay. So tell me about somatic linguistics. What What does that so, mean? How are you using it? Can you break it down in any sort of a practical yeah. way that somebody listening could use? Hmm, could I make it? Maybe. Let me see. Let me give it a shot. Um, I'm finding myself um, not wanting to talk too much. And so I keep feeling myself muzzling my stories a little bit. So bear with me if I pause for just a second. I'm a little nervous. Um, That's fine. Take your time. So uh, the only way I can think of to answer this question is with another story, if y'all can handle another oh, one. Bring them on. Season three is all about those stories. Tell me about Good. it. So um, I, my dad, when I was in college, I was a chemistry major and I was a special ed student when I was a kid. I couldn't talk. I stuttered and stammered. And I figured out a way to stop stuttering and stammering on my own. I sort of hacked this thing to do. Um, and uh, my, when my dad got sick, I had to change majors. So I was really into this idea of physiology and how our body was working. And then I became an economics major. Why that all matters to you is this. Uh, I took a job at a collection agency. And I don't know if you're familiar with that business, but it's horrible. Met the nicest people in the break room. Uh, when they went on the floor, they were negative and horrible, and my hands shook filing things, listening to these people talk to people. And I got it in my head that I was going to start a collection agency that collected debt by being nice. And I did it. I had no skills. I was like 23, had no idea what I was doing. 
And I thought that we'd collect less, but that people would want to work with us because we're the last person to talk to their customer. And we ended up collecting three times more. And I am not kidding about that. The industry average was 9.9. Ours was 32.2. And we got invited to weddings. And that is not a joke. We had to have a toy box in our office because so many debtors would bring their kids in to meet their bill collector. And through that time, I would hook, I, I was trying to figure out why are some of my collectors so good in conflict that it's somatic, it's physiology, it's not intellect. There's, there's something else going on here that some people in conflict can take a confrontation and turn it into a conversation. And so we did 30 minutes of training every day to, to help my team stay in love with people and want to hear their story. So we heard hundreds of stories, but it was only one that we were on the phone call with. And 72% of the incoming calls, and that's not made up, were um, people yelling. And we had to learn how to turn that conversation into something else when someone's having a really bad day. So long story short, I would put them in these um, sensors that tested their physiology and started really geeking out on what is happening in communication and influence that we're not being taught. Our bodies are driving the conversation, not our intellect, because my folks would learn things, but they wouldn't do them if their operating system was triggered by something. So I ended it. That's why I became a NASA test subject. And NASA let me use their equipment, which tests 22 pieces of human physiology. And they put our physiology up on screens and have us do all this stuff. And every single one of us was so different. Like how we communicate, you know, our bodies are different. We're just wired differently. And so I developed this way of mapping out um, physiology and visual and understanding what's really going on, not just the words that are being said. And so how someone could use that, I couldn't teach them, you know, we have 72, my favorite number, 72 things that we're looking for um, in visible physiology. That's too many to teach somebody. We don't teach somatic linguistics. But somebody listening, if you're if you're wanting to influence someone, uh, you know, discomfort when a person gets uncomfortable, they listen less. So, so much of influence is how do I create comfort? How do I talk the way this person listens? And to do that, I have to pay attention to how they listen before I try to convince them of anything. So that was... Yeah, I think that's awesome. I was going to just add to that. I think another issue, another element of it probably is how you listen to them. So not just... Uh, how they necessarily hear you, but also how you listen to them and make them feel heard and make them feel acknowledged so that they're willing to feel that, you know, they can talk to you and that they're willing to listen to you because you're listening to them. Yeah. And doing it in a non-transactional way. I, I went to, I hired so many companies to train my collectors and I was just grossed out. I just felt like it was all so manipulative and not real. It was all, you know, manipulating somebody when it's really, if I can get out of my head and invest in someone's need to feel understood, like for real invest in it without a transaction attached to it. Um, and this is what we taught our collectors. Um, what's the number one goal of a collection call? Uh, a payment plan? Um, nope. The number one goal of a collection call is to establish enough relationships so the person tells you the truth. 
once that once you have the truth, you can help them. Um, same is true in sales. Same is true in a one-on-one. Like a leader's job is to confront reality sooner. But we often lead companies in ways that we don't get reality at all because we're optimizing for the sale or for the the feedback or for the perform. You know, we're we're optimizing for the wrong thing. Why do we do all this? Why it, it, everything you're saying sounds so. I don't want to say obvious because obvious is the wrong word for it. But like when you hear it, it like said it out loud, like this, it sounds like, this yes, obviously, this is how we should behave. Right? Yeah. This is how we should talk to one another. <laughs> this is how we should listen. This is how we should treat each other as human beings. It sounds so obvious when it's said out loud, but something gets in our way. And I'm curious if you think that that's systemic in the sense that our society is structured in such a way where this behavior is learned, whether you think it's, you know, um, human beings are just structured in certain ways where it just like nature nurture kind of conversation. I mean, why why don't we just behave like this all the time? Why don't we acknowledge and care about people's stories from a non-transactional standpoint? I don't know if I have an answer for that, but I can tell you that I think <laughs> I think most of us were raised to just get over it. We were raised that when we had a feeling that someone else didn't feel like feeling, we should not have that feeling. And it's subtle, but if, if, if we all think back to how we were raised, crying is bad, anger is bad. All of these feelings are freaking delicious. Like there is nothing, discomfort is the sign that something's going right. It means that something is, some, we're aware of something when we're uncomfortable. But every, right now, all three of us are, we're trying to optimize for comfort. We're shifting in our chairs. We're trying to be more comfortable. And so what this causes us to do is numb negative feelings. So if, if I'm talking with you right now and I numb a, a frustrations, so let's say the three of us work on a team inside a business and I'm super annoyed that, you know, Carolyn wants uh, us to have more risk in the business. And I'm the person in compliance and I'm very annoyed by that. So my frustration in that moment is a sign of my genius. It's, uh, Carolyn needs me the most because I'm the yin for her yang. But I, uh, because I was raised to just get over it, I numb that frustration and I don't use it. I'm abused by it. And I push back on the table. I go have the meeting after the meeting. I triangulate. I call her names in my head. But if we're truly a good partnership, we should not agree when we're in meetings. There should not be agreement or we didn't hire well. But a lot of meetings, we optimize for comfort, for everybody aligning and getting along. And that's not actually how things get done. It's not. And this is hitting home so much for me, all of this, because I feel like learning to actually feel your feelings is, is exactly that. It's a learned behavior. It's something you have to be exposed to because we have grown up with the idea that we have to suppress these feelings. I mean, I, I, can, I can think of being at home with my roommates the other day where one of my roommates said something in like a rude kind of way, and it was in a very public manner in front of everybody else and I sort of just you know I had a feeling but I didn't want to upset the tension in the room so I just kind of didn't say like hey that was rude and you shouldn't have said that and I'm upset about it but you know what I did after that I talked to one of my other roommates about how annoying that comment was yeah but like that yeah didn't solve anything it, it and it's why I mean if you think of what's going on in the press right now I so agree with you and I love that you just Use that example because me too, man. I do that too. Like Like I teach, I teach this crap and I still 
it's we get alerted and we I mean, this is why things continue in our society that we're so devastated by because it's hard in the moment to be curious. It's really hard. And to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, my son came home one day and threw his water bottle down and screamed really loud. I hate school. I think he, <laughs> I think he even threw an F-bomb in there. Um, did, and did every $10. Yeah. He has to pay me a hundred for those. Um, every fiber of my body wanted to correct him, wanted to say, don't you throw a bottle. You need to do homework. I felt myself get all, you know, fancy pants with him. And I felt it. And because I, this somatic linguistics thing is about, you know, feeling what's happening um, and uh, loving it, celebrating when we notice that there's something has changed. Um, and I stopped and I looked at him and I said, oh, my God, Sebastian, I hated school, too. I hated school in fifth grade. Mr. Radovich made me feel so stupid. Why do you hate school? And my kid looked at me, picked up the bottle and said, sorry about that. Uh, the sub- he said, the substitute teacher put her hand over my mouth today, mom. I, if I would have corrected that moment, I never would have known that. Yeah. And I, it's hard though. I can give you many examples where I corrected the moment or I shut down or I froze or, and that I, I just, I, man, I, I think it's hard. It's hard when we're biologically triggered. How do you? Um, you said you're an introvert. I also identify as an introvert, and I find that 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 keeps me from engaging in these situations because it is so exhausting. Sometimes you're like, "I'm too tired for this." Like that's your out, right? So you'll say, "Like I'm too tired for this. I have to go up to my room and avoid the situation rather than reacting in the moment." How do you like gather the courage to change that behavior for the times that you've been able to? Man, I used to use alcohol. <laughs> Not kidding about. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> My so, I think for one of the practices, so we have a lot of deliberate practices for that the, the, to help folks um, do this in baby steps that don't require a lot of willpower. But one of my strategies is to get the person talking more. And I learned this in the collection business that the the more upset someone is, that is not the time to calm them down. It's the time to match or exceed their concern for the problem. So if my son's dad says to me, you're a helicopter mom, um, that person's upset. And I might want to calm them down and say, how dare you say that to me? And in the moment, though, instead of I say, say more about that, what are you seeing? Um, The next sentence that person says is probably not as offensive as the first one. Yeah, because they kind of have to backtrack at that point. They're like, oh, that was... Well, also it takes some of the steam out of their, yeah. out of their, some of the fire out of their, uh, I don't know, you know, fuel out of their fire or whatever. Uh, it's sort of like if somebody starts screaming at you and the first thing you say to them is, I'm sorry, you're right. Like they're probably going to stop screaming as much because you've acknowledged the thing that makes them, that's making them feel that way. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, it, it goes against our biology when someone has made us uncomfortable to ask them to talk more. Yet it's in that second sentence that they feel understood, so they typically get less combative. But then we can really understand what they meant. So when I said, hey, say more, I don't want to be a helicopter mom. What are you seeing? His next sentence was so beautiful. I mean, he was coming from such an amazing place, and it was super helpful what he was seeing. 
So it's, you know, this somatic linguistics, it's, it's, it's this idea that if I'm noticing that something's changed, that I don't have to react to something said in discomfort. If I can just get the person talking a little more, I can get out of that drama. So in your, Carolyn, in your story, you know, one thing to do is when somebody says something horribly rude is to say, hey, what, say more about that. What do you mean? You know, not combative, but a lot of people will come off of their statement if they if they're given the mic again. Yeah, I can't even imagine like how that situation would have come differently because I actually had a like a sort of surrogate reactor for me in that situation. The comment was directed towards my best friend who doesn't live with us, but uh, it was in regard to something she said and it was just a rude comment that came out of nowhere and um it I was viscerally upset and I didn't say anything, but she did say something. She fired right back at him, said, that's her. not true. Like, you don't even know me. And like, I was, you know, dying on the inside watching her react too, because the way that she came back at it led him to be angrier. And they were both like shouting to the point where no one was speaking after they had said their last point. And it got like, you know, can you can feel the tension in a room. You could just like scoop it out of the air. It was so uncomfortable. But I wonder, like, is that is that reaction gonna work? Like, is that does meeting it with the same anger? Is that like, I don't know. Is that not not the way to go about it, rather than like questioning? I guess. Well, boy, every situation's different. And whenever we teach influence or conflict, we say this stuff is only going to work 5% of the time. Like humans are irrational <laughs> and emotional. There's no freaking magic bullet for anything. I do think matching anger with anger is fine. It's beautiful. It's, you know, the, this, you know, if you step between a panther and her cubs, she doesn't throw white light around you. She eats you. <laughs> you know, there, I think anger for anger is fine. Um, now if that was her boss, it might not serve her outcome to do it. Right. And so I can't wait to go home and tell her that. Yeah. So what (laughs) we want to do is we want to have in that moment, have her choose the response that gets her the most of what she wants. Right. So anger may have been get the F out of my house. And Mm -hmm. I applaud that response. Yeah. You know, one way, another way would be, what is your intent? What is your intent by saying that sentence? Because it makes you sound kind of like a jerk. <laughs> you know, what was like, your intent? Yeah, that's really how everybody else in the room reacted to that statement uh, through all of us. But that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And some people do brighten the room by leaving it, man. It's just. Oh, man, that's really true. <laughs> it's just. So part of this is. What am I, what am I willing to invest in this conversation right now? Mm -hmm. And some of the best influence is just letting it go. Um, so I don't have an answer. I hope you hear that, that it's, there's no wrong way to do it. It's just having a, a bunch of options in the moment. I think that's freeing as, as in in itself. So let me ask you, uh, kind of from a different perspective. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we started off talking a little bit about the, the power and impact of stories. One, listening to other people's stories, acknowledging them, appreciating them, and how that plays into your ability to really, you know, formulate a relationship and, and a basis for truth. Um, talk to me a little bit about some of the work that you've done with, uh, with your clients in, in sort of generating a story from scratch, um, thinking about what is the story that they want to tell in the first place. I think that that would probably be a good place for us to to kind of end our show on is to to get your advice and thoughts on that. 
Yeah, so storytelling is the transactional medium of relationship in our culture. It's what everybody does with their closest friends. Like we humans are, unless you're a sociopath, like humans are warm-blooded tribal animals and we swap stories. This is how we do it. The challenge is, is because storytelling is becoming this thing right now, folks are messing with it. They're telling it in a transactional way, perfect way that actually reduce, reduces the effectiveness. So one of the things I suggest to folks is to think to every day, write down experiences or stories that you love. Get into the habit of capturing the, the examples and things that are happening in your life that have your pores open. Don't try to pick the perfect story for what you're trying to sell. Instead, find stories that you love that create a feeling because storytelling is a feeling. So once folks get in the habit of noticing stories, um, do you want me to keep going? Yes, absolutely. Um, once they're in the habit, uh, storytelling is a feeling. And that means we want to tell the story in it rather than about it. Relive it as if it's happening right now rather than talk about it. So it's not, I remember I was... 12 years old, that's about it. That is not how we storytell with our friends. We want to relive it at a very specific level of context. And I wrote a book about this because called Suede. We have a model in the book that shows different levels of context in storytelling. And it's very simple. I can give it to you guys. It's You can say fruit. That's one level of context. Food is even more abstract. Or you can say apple, which is even more specific. Name an apple. One of you yell out what kind of apple. Macintosh. Yeah. Macintosh apple. That's also a computer. Um, Macintosh. Lady. Yeah, pink lady. So right now you have Mindshare in your head that is making this story more visceral for you. And the key to really great storytelling is helping people find themselves in your story with random detail. So stay with me for a second. Imagine a pink lady apple. So you've got it in your head now. With with That's a little spongy. It's a little ripe. You've taken a bite out of that apple, and there is half a worm squiggling out, implying the other half is in your mouth. That is a more visceral experience. That is how we should be storytelling. So if we're going to storytell, we want to put little pieces of messy detail, two to three words, not sentences, that people can find themselves in. Got it. There's I a, felt uh, that. I felt that worm in my it, mouth. <laughs> what I, what my, my, it's funny. What went to my head immediately was that um, Louis C.K. does a bit about. It was back when he was married. He talked about how his wife tells a story and how he tells a story. And he was like, mm-hmm. the way that I tell a story is, I said, I went to the store today. I bought a tomato. I ate it. It was good. And it was, it's like it, everybody could follow that story, right? And then he starts talking about how his wife tells a story and he's like, um, remember Susan? Okay, no, 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 not that Susan. Not the Susan I went to college with, but the Susan that was my former neighbor. No, not the neighbor that had the friend that did, that went to jail. But, and he's like, I don't even know what she's talking about anymore. We're a minute, you know, we're 30 seconds into his story. So I was just thinking about how uh, there, there's different ways of telling story and, and providing detail. I think what was interesting about your story, specifically about the apple, was that you were telling details about the story that invoke a feeling and an experience of being there in that moment. This and you're spot on. It's that it's relive a moment, relive it. So 
instead of saying I was 12, I was this, this or that, saying I'm on the railroad tracks. It's 86 degrees outside, but it's Georgia. So with humidity, it's about 120. Gary is holding, Gary's holding my right hand. Steve is holding my left hand. They are pulling me, will not let me off the railroad tracks. I can see the conductor's hat coming toward me. So that is reliving it as if it's happening right now, but putting little pieces of detail, the color of the hat, the temperature, you know, I can, yeah, Gary, I can talk about what I was wearing. Um, But the next part is if we're going to relive it and have little random pieces of detail, there should always be a tension or a twist where there's something in the story that the person doesn't know is about to happen. Mm. So people are focused on the, the, and this is a real story. It actually happened. My brothers are horrible. Um, the, there's a moment in the story where the person listening is trying to figure out where this is going. Every human wants to be smart. And so we think we know where it's going. So emotionally, if the story ends up going somewhere else, it just makes people have a different level of interest. So I can say it's coming. They will not let go. And then I can stop and say, that is why I put Nair in my brother's shampoo bottle. <laughs> now, the, and that did happen right before um, it totally worked. I'm in the witness protection program. But the, so the, but having that sort of twist or tension, um, a lot of us have been taught expository writing, which is tell them what you're going to say, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Give them a needle to stick in their eye. They're not listening. Don't tell them what's going to happen. Have them there and reliving it and be surprised by what they didn't know what else was going on. Absolutely love it. I think that is a fantastic framework for people to tell stories. And I hope that for the rest of season three, everybody has a story about being on the train tracks or something (laughs) with that level of tension. Christina, you've been an absolutely remarkable guest. And I'm telling you right now, Carolyn and I are looking at each other and we just nodded. Yeah, we're going to be inviting you back to come back again. Uh, (laughs) You're a fabulous way for us to kick off season three. Before we let you go, we like to give a little moment at the end of the show where we let people talk about what they're working on, where our audience can get in touch with you, learn more about you, where they can connect with you, sign up for your newsletter or whatever you have. This part of the show is completely yours. So take it away. Well, I just want to thank both of you. Um, Listening to your podcasts, you both have a way of just making people feel comfortable and making them feel like they matter. And I listened to you do that with other guests and you definitely did it for me and it made me less nervous. So I, I, (laughs) I do think that you are in the right um, business for sure. I think you bring out the best in people. So uh, we have a Facebook page, Allegory Inc., Uh, that we love when people interact with us and ask us questions. My responses are always grammatically incorrect. Um, (laughs) uh, The company is, yeah, the company is Allegory Inc. You can find us if you have it. We love getting questions from strangers and people. It's often how we create our content around influence or conflict. And what we're working on right now is this, um, my book, Suede, hit number one in the conflict category. That was accidental. I never expected anyone to read it. And we are working on making an online course about it. Um, So that will be available hopefully by the end of the year. Um, And yeah, I think that's it. That's it? That's all you got? Well, that's uh, incredible. I'm going to go one more level on you though. Uh, Okay. After we're done with this show, we're going to uh, we're going to chat and we're going to pick up a couple copies of your books from you. We'd like you to sign them. And what we're going to do is for anybody that is a listener of Shareable, 
Um, we're going to be giving away, I'm going to say, let's give away, what, three copies of the book? We're going to give away three copies of the book signed from you if you're open to this. Um, and uh, all you have to do as a listener is call in to our number, leave a voicemail, tell us the story. If you do that, we will put you in the running with the people that call in, and we will give out three copies of this book. We'll announce the winners online, and if you give us permission, we'll even create an episode out of your story for season three. <gasps> I know. Amazing, right? Uh, that is so cool. I literally I just that. thought of that right now, by the way. This just happened. Uh, the, well, the... I will make sure I put something on our Facebook thing that gives a real quick refresher on storytelling so that anybody who wants to do the story will have a quick summary of what I just talked about to do yes. it. Awesome. We it. will link to the, all of that good yeah, stuff. Yeah, we're going to link notes. to all that. Uh, for those of you listening, the number to call into is 551 257 Four two seven three. I believe that's five five one two five share. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, five five one two five share. Call in. Tell us a story. Tell us about someone that changed your life. Tell us about technology that changed your life. Tell us about a heartbreak that you had. Tell us about the love of your life and Stick how you met them. Stick that needle in our eyes. Yeah, please. and please don't don't <laughs> tell us the hook at the at the beginning. Make us wait for it. Uh, tell us the story, and we're going to be giving away three signed copies of Christina's book, Suede, uh, to our listeners who call in for us. And make sure to let us know if we're if you're okay with us featuring your story on our show. Uh, we love you, listeners. We think you're fabulous people, and you're all probably the best looking podcast listeners in all of. <laughs> Uh, in, in all of the business category of podcasts uh, for on behalf of myself and uh, on behalf of Caroline and uh, hopefully on behalf of you, Christina, I would like to say that I think this episode was incredibly shareable. There are a couple thank yous and shout outs in order. First, thank you to Ray Bueno for all of that sexy production value and a quick thank you to me for producing the show. I'd like to send a shout out to DJ Quads for the use of our theme song Always and A. Humitsu for the use of our outro song Adventures. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jay Gibbard and you can follow me at Caroline Tassone. You can follow the show at shareable underscore pod and just shareable podcast on everything else. That's Facebook, the gram, everything. You can email us at sharablepodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to our email list at sharablepodcast.com slash subscribe. Do all the things. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating. Review us on iTunes. Tell a friend. Tell your mom. I don't know. She might like it. My mom does. Hey, mom. 